Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. We begin a new series of teaching on today's Real Truth radio program. We present what we believe is the real truth regarding a matter which has gained international attention within many segments of the church at large the matter of the restoration of the prophetic gifts and office. Many new ministries, ministry organizations, conferences, and even schools with an emphasis on the prophetic realm are springing up in various places. This new emphasis is being dubbed a new movement by some. It's already sparking poignant and sometimes heated debate between proponents and opponents of this rather controversial topic. One Christian magazine devoted an entire issue to the matter of this growing movement. Many church leaders have already taken and announced their stand on the issue. What does God have to say about this important matter in the Bible? That is our consuming quest on the Real Truth radio program. To report to you, our listeners, the real truth of what God is saying to the church today. Our sole source of authority is the closed canon of 66 books known as the Bible, the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Our premise is simple. If it's in the Bible, it's the real truth. If it's not, then it just cannot be the real truth. In this series of teaching and comments, we'll be reporting what our research indicates is the real truth regarding this somewhat controversial matter, the restoration of the prophetic gifts and office. Over the course of the series, we'll report answers from the Bible to the questions most frequently asked by believers in regard to this topic. Questions such as, is the prophetic realm valid today? Are there real prophets today? Is the gift of prophecy valid today? What about the matter of personal prophecy? Whatever happened to the operation of the gifts and office in the church? Why do many churches not believe in the prophetic realm and prophets? What about abuses and excesses in this realm? How can the true be distinguished from the false? What about false prophets? These are just a few of the important questions we'll be addressing in this series. We begin the series on today's edition of The Real Truth with an introductory overview of the subject. In Acts chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, 
God tells us that heaven must retain the Lord Jesus Christ until all the periods of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time have been completed and fulfilled. All throughout church history, God has been orchestrating divinely appointed times of restoration during which he restored portions of truth which were lost to the church during that dismal 1,200-year period which we now call the Dark Ages. So many great truths which were fully accepted and understood by the early church as a part of the foundation of their faith were lost during that protracted spiritual eclipse of darkness over the church. Only a little over 300 years after the birth of the church, it began to slip into its darkest hour, in which the light of truth was all but extinguished. During this terrible period of spiritual darkness, false humanistic teaching was promulgated throughout the halls of Christendom by humanistic false religious teachers who were disguised as angels of light. As truth was supplanted by vain philosophies of men, spiritual darkness permeated the collective church and individual believers were subjected to great spiritual bondage and denigration. One of the foundational truths comprising the belief system of first-century believers was that of the function of fivefold ministers as the instructional and governmental representatives of Jesus within the church. The early church understood that Jesus himself had appointed certain individuals to provide instruction and government to the church and that he had anointed these delegates of Christ with special spiritual giftings to perform these functions. Early believers knew these called and set-apart ministers were gifts from Jesus to the church, and they esteemed them thusly. However, as Satan began to infiltrate the church with false religious teachers who promulgated doctrines of demons, and as the church began to be enveloped in the resulting darkness of deception, the spiritual leadership God had ordained for the edification of the body of Christ was replaced by a religious hierarchy of humanistic clerics. The horrible result was 1,200 long years of spiritual darkness, deception, and tyranny until finally, on October 31, 1517, a God-ordained spiritual revolution was sparked by the hammer of an obscure Augustinian priest by the name of Martin Luther as he nailed his 95 theses of protest against the unscriptural practices and beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church to the door of the cathedral in Wittenberg, Germany. That courageous and solitary act by this heretofore passive and obedient priest was the beginning of the periods of restoration of which the Apostle Peter foretold.
extolling, elucidating, and experiencing life in the Spirit is the goal of Spirit Life magazine, located online at spiritlifemag.com. Powerful, relative, timely, and spiritually enriching articles by various Christian writers from a Spirit-filled, Spirit-baptized perspective at spiritlifemag.com. That's spiritlifemag.com. Originally, Luther's protestations were intended to be only a personal protest. Little did he know that what began as a solitary act of personal protest would eventually grow into a spiritual revolution among multitudes of other fed-up, hungry-for-the-real-truth believers, which revolution would in time span the entire globe. It became known as the Protestant Reformation, and it was the beginning of the divinely appointed periods of restoration or times of restitution of which the Apostle Peter prophesied nearly 1,500 years before. Ever since that momentous period, God has been gradually restoring great truths which were lost during the Dark Ages through the four major restorational movements that followed Luther's revolt. The Protestant movement of the 15, 16, and 1700s, the Holiness movement of the 1800s, and the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements of the 20th century. Each of these movements was a forceful and even violent wave of a restoration of truth established by God Himself. Yet each divinely inspired move was met with great resistance by stiff-necked resistors of the Holy Spirit within the structural church of the day, despite which God, of course, always prevailed. However, each of those waves eventually ran their course, having completed their mission and having served their purpose, and each are now beached waves, void of impetus, obsolete and powerless, dead and lifeless, no longer bearing the anointing and authority of God. But now in these last days, just prior to the return of Christ, the winds of restoration are once again blowing. A new wind of restoration and reformation is blowing throughout the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church that Jesus is building, a wind in which God is restoring the prophetic gifts and office into operation within the church. This wind is the forerunner to God's orchestration of one final gigantic spiritual tidal wave of restoration which will effect the culmination of the church age and the married supper of the Lamb. God is purifying the bride of Christ, the church, preparing her for glorification to make her that church without spot or wrinkle in all her glory which Christ shall return to claim as his bride. To bring forth that purification and glorification, God is restoring the ministry of the apostles and prophets back into their rightful place of function within the church. Refinement fires of purification will produce the pure gold of glorification in this last great move of God, both in individual believers 
and the collective church. End-time believers are about to experience the most exciting and powerful times the church has ever experienced. The glory of the latter house shall indeed be greater than the former. The latter-day church shall not merely be conformed into the image of the early church, but rather into the image of Christ himself. No, the latter church shall far exceed the early church, both in understanding and in power. The early church had some power, but it was only a babe and lacked the perfection or spiritual maturity which the last-day church shall eventually possess. We're not looking to be conformed into the image of the early church. Rather, we are predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. Romans 8.29 Through the effectual functioning of all of the fivefold ministry, we shall be perfected into the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God unto one mature man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ himself. Ephesians 4, 7 through 13. When we shall see him, Jesus, in the clouds for the great gathering together unto Christ, we shall then truly be like him. For then our spiritual insight or knowledge will have progressed to the point wherein we shall see him just as he is, no longer as we thought he was, but as he really is. Then we shall be truly and fully conformed into his image when all of the fivefold ministry, including the end-time apostles and prophets, have been fully restored and thereby have completed the contribution which only they can make toward making the church bride into that glorified entity that Christ shall return to claim. Then the times of restitution will have been completed. Heaven will no longer retain the Christ, and he, Jesus, the Christ, shall be released to return. Maranatha. Are you enjoying this podcast? Would you take just a minute to think about all the precious resources it takes to produce and make available a resource such as this? Time, talent, thinking, planning, preparing, studying, writing, editing, organizing, recording, audio editing, a multiplicity of post-production and publishing tasks, and on and on it goes. The big professional news and media companies employ 10 to 20 people to produce a presentation such as this podcast at a cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you enjoy the program, would you be so kind as to take a minute and pray to ask God if He would have you lend a helping hand our way in the form of financial support? In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLMINC to make a donation of any amount. Your gifts would be so greatly appreciated and used for the glory of God in the production of this program. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you abundantly for your generosity and graciousness. 
God wants to communicate. In a nutshell, that's what the prophetic realm is all about, as well as God's purpose for it. God is a personal God who desires intimate fellowship with his mankind creation. Thus, he has always wanted to communicate with us. He is looking for those who will listen for his communication. He is speaking much more than most people are listening. Some people, though, would have us to believe that God became a sociopath 2,000 years ago and that he stopped speaking with the completion of the writings which now comprise the Bible. The need for the prophetic realm ceased with the canonization of the Bible, they say. The thinking ordinary believer, however, knows that just cannot possibly be true and finds the notion that God no longer speaks today to his family, to his children, to those he loves, to Jesus' betrothed to be a silly and nonsensical notion. The problem is not that God is not speaking, but that most people are not listening and have not learned how to hear the Lord's divine communication. God employs many means of communication and certainly has not limited himself to only one or two. In fact, God will use whatever means of communication is necessary to communicate his message, will, and purposes to people. In the Bible, we can find examples of God speaking through people, angels, through a burning bush once, through circumstances, through supernatural acts, and once he even spoke through a dumb donkey. Certainly we know without a doubt that God has not become mute, but rather is still speaking today and is adamant about maintaining communication and fellowship with his mankind creation as well as intimate communion and communication with his children. In the Garden of Eden prior to the fall, Adam and Eve enjoyed direct communication or communion with God. Since the fall of man, God now speaks to us through three main categories of communication. One, through the revelation of the eternal life of God, Jesus Christ, revealed by means of the 66 books of closed canon, which we call the Bible. Two, through internal communication by the Spirit, by means of the inward witness, the inward voice, dreams, and visions. And three, through the external media of the voice of the Holy Spirit spoken through individual believers. We'll be examining all three of these categories of communication during the course of this series of teaching. First, however, we need to discuss the matter of direct spiritual communication that occurred in the Garden of Eden. For this, we are using as our foundation Genesis 3, 8 through 19. In the story of the creation, we can see that God walked and talked or fellowshiped with his mankind creation, Adam and Eve, right from the very beginning of the creation. In fact, it was for the explicit purpose of fellowship that God created mankind in the first place. As we know from the story related to us in the first three chapters of Genesis, God created Adam 
set him in his earthly headquarters, the Garden of Eden, and placed him in full and complete charge of the entire creation on the planet he had fashioned called Earth. You'll remember also that in the garden, God had placed two trees among the many trees he had planted there. One was the tree of eternal life, which is the divine nature of God himself, the very life of God mentioned in 2 Peter 2.14. The other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was the nature of Satan, the carnal nature. God told Adam that he was free to eat of any of the trees in the garden, including, apparently, the tree of eternal life except that he could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because that was the tree of spiritual death. The fruit of that tree was the nature of Satan who had sinned against God and thereby had been banished from the presence of God, disfellowshipped from God, and had entered into spiritual death. Eating from the fruit of that tree would result in the same rebellion against God and the same resultant disfellowship or eternal separation from God. How different things would have been had that first Adam eaten of the tree of life rather than the tree of death. But he didn't. Instead, being seduced by his wife, Eve, who had listened to the seductive and deceptive voice of Satan, though his words were in direct conflict with the word of God, Adam ate of the carnal nature of disobedience unto God along with his wife. How could they do such a thing? Eve, we are told, despite the dire warnings they were given by God, on a certain day was gazing at the tree and became deceived by the voice of the tempter who saw her and seized upon the opportunity to deceive her with his seductive rationale. The devil, you see, cannot read our minds, but he can certainly know all he needs to know to tempt us by reading, if you will, our actions. This is a good tree. See how desirable the fruit of this tree is, the perverter told her as she gazed upon the tree and listened to his seductive voice. Soon, Genesis 3, 6 tells us, she perceived the fruit of that tree to be, quote, good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Thus, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate, end quote. Eve had been deceived by the voice of the enemy. That deception altered her perception of what she was looking at to believe what the devil was telling her about that tree, though it was in direct opposition to what God had told them about the tree. At the very moment they chose to disobey the direct command of God and to eat of the fruit of that tree, the carnal nature, the spirit of disobedience, the nature of Satan, entered into Adam and Eve and they died spiritually. Oh, they continued to live physically, but they died spiritually. They had been alive spiritually. They had been in perfect communion and fellowship with God. But when they partook of the nature of Satan, like him, they too died spiritually. They too lost their fellowship with God. They too were eternally separated from God. They too were banished from heaven. 
But even in the Garden of Eden, God demonstrated his nature of mercy, which motivates him yet today in his dealing with his mankind creation, because his greatest desire is for fellowship with us, his creation. When man could no longer find God as he entered into spiritual darkness and separation from God, God went looking for man. Now God had to come looking for his very own creation who had fallen prey to the evil seduction of the evil one. We read the account of that in Genesis 3, 8. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. As they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, sin consciousness, sin consciousness, now permeated their entire being, so that when God came to fellowship with them, as was their daily custom, they now felt naked and bare in the presence of a holy God. Instinctively, they now felt the overwhelming need for something to cover their spiritual and physical nakedness before God. They were suddenly acutely aware of their need for a covering to cover their sin. The horrible result of man's disobedience was that he lost the peaceful communion and fellowship with God he had once enjoyed. Now, when God came to fellowship with them, they ran away from God in fear. What does all this have to do with the matter of the prophetic realm? Everything. Prior to the fall of man, he enjoyed direct communion and fellowship with God. Direct communion and fellowship with God. The horrible result of the fall was separation and disfellowship or excommunication, if you will, from God. Prior to the fall, communication with God was perfect communication by the Spirit within man. But with their disobedience, spiritual death entered into their human spirits. Their hearts were now devoid of the Holy Spirit. Internal communication by the Spirit was now non-existent. The next thing we see in the Genesis account is external communication with God. As a result of the fall, communication with God was now externalized. Man was now dead spiritually. Spiritual death permeated his entire being. The resultant unregenerate condition, which has now been extended to all of mankind, is described in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead, that is spiritually dead, in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, that is before we were born again, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And that's the carnal nature, the sin nature. The consequence of the disobedience and fall of man was that human spiritual hearing and sight or spiritual insight was greatly dulled 
and man was rendered spiritually insensitive to the voice of God. This horrible result, which condition man now lives in, is described in Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. And he said, go tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on seeing, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Spiritual death and profound insensitivity to the voice of God was the consequence which extended to all of mankind as a result of the disobedience of the first Adam. But thank God, there came also a second Adam. That is the topic of the next segment of teaching. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God, all things are possible, and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.